I thought that you were just going to like start doing the intro and that's why I was like, wait, so, <laughs> start launching in. No, no, no I don't. I don't do the intro until prompted. The intro, the I intro mean, is for when I'm on the clock. <laughs> that's right. I was going through this and I actually learned something that really kind of, kind of shook me this morning when I was working on this, which is that it's San Bernardino, not San Bernardino, at least the way that it's spelled. Oh yeah. California. Cause I've always heard it pronounced without the second R. Well, yeah, man. Cause you, why would you say the second R dude <laughs> in California, bro? Why just San Bernardino? You sneak it in there. You're like, did I hear that second R? And the other guy's like, it doesn't matter, man. We're late for the waves. <laughs> I don't even think I don't even think people actually surf in California anymore. So is this like a a a, a February kind of situation? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think we've it, been Februaryed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like. One of the things around me is because, like, New England is all just half cop. We've talked about this before. It's just copied names from England. But, like, that's also sort of evolved with how American English has evolved. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have all these towns whose names end in borough, which in, you know, England English is B O R O U G H. Oh, Burke. But that's a lot of letters. Yeah. <laughs> and, with the way that it's pronounced now, a lot of them have like, at least on like some signs, especially like Foxborough where the, the Pat stadium is, is like the one that I can usually think of have just changed it to the phonetic B O R O. Yeah. The, (laughs) the American advertiser version where it's like you, you pay by the letters, So the fewest letters that communicate the word is what you use. Yeah. So this is my proposal as somebody who does not live in California has never been to San Bernardino. (laughs) Just just get rid of the second R if you're not going to pronounce it. That's all I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> Save some money on signage, guys. Come on. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Do yourselves a favor. Well, uh... Everybody, your favorite. Oh, damn it, we're a geography podcast again. We keep I doing guess. geography. <laughs> I do love geography. I, mean, we could I just learned to being a weather podcast, but I think that's somehow even less interesting. No, I mean fun <laughs> geography fact. I just learned. Have you ever looked at a population density map of Egypt? It is the no. coolest population density map in the world. So you have the Nile. <laughs> I was going to say, the, is it just the Nile? It's just the Nile, and like the valley <laughs> where it leads out into the ocean, and everything there is like bright purple it's like completely filled with people and then everything else is completely empty and i'm yeah. like that's so fucking cool <laughs> <laughs> well that was like one of the things that i like when i was learning about like population distribution in china because uh-huh. you know like china's you know the world's most populous country 1.4 billion people and it's like and it's about almost exactly the same physical size as the united states mm-hmm. but then you look at the distribution and it's so like it's so skewed to the coastal cities Right. That like you actually have like a relatively low population density in a lot like large portion of the country, which just blew my mind because I'm like, you already have 1.4 billion people. But then it's like like no wonder you have all these cities with like 20 million people in them. Right. That never show up on the list of biggest cities in the world because like the U.S. is just like, well, 
we can't not have the U.S. be in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we need to change the rules for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, and China's crazy because I think like less than 10% of their people live uh, in the Western, like three quarters right. of the country, except for that one little corridor where the Silk Road used to be, where there's like a straight line pretty much of inhabitable area. But anyway, we're an entirely <laughs> listener supported show. So thank you so much for any money you might be giving us on Patreon. If you're not in the discord already, please get in there. It's a great place to find out more about the stuff we talk about on the show. If you are a patron and you don't have your stickers yet, just send us a message on Patreon. And if you want to help the show a little bit more, you can leave a five star review on Apple podcasts or in the comments of your favorite geography video on youtube <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> but we're going to start by talking about trader joe's because there was a little bit of a bombshell revelation recently which is that their recently closed wine store in new york city was actually closed no surprise to listeners of this show to crush a union drive yeah so like we talked last week about the big like landslide union win at the Trader Joe's in Minneapolis, which made them the second successful unionized store in the chain as part of the new independent union movement, Trader Joe's United. Big, exciting win, really hoping to see the spread of that movement. And apparently, as excited as we are to see the movement spread, Trader Joe's management is as excited to try and stop it from spreading. Mm. Because, like, yeah, as you said, like right around the same time, that that second election was happening and, and winning overwhelmingly. Uh, we got this story that came out from the Huffington Post. This came out uh, last Wednesday, uh, August 17th, that the this wine shop that was closed in Manhattan with, was like actually on the verge of dec- like asking for a NLRB election. Uh, not with Trader Joe's United, with UFCW, but still like they had actually planned to announce their union drive this past week, but just before they could do it, the company shut the store down. So like joining the ranks of Chipotle and Starbucks and Dollar General and this other illustrious group of, of criminal enterprises that have been shuttering their own stores in an attempt These to These white-collar crime syndicates, if we're <laughs> going to be right. quote, quote, quoting Sean O'Brien, I, I, lo- I love when he shouts that. And the message that I got today, for all these scumbag CEOs, for all these corruptible politicians, and these white-collar crime syndicates, you fuck with us, we fuck with you. I really, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want to get too caught up in rhetoric, but I really appreciate that, like, he doesn't, you know, pussyfoot around the whole idea of, well, we have, well, we have management and labor are a partnership. And there's none of that. Cause like that shit is so annoying. And there's so much ideology with it that it's so refreshing to hear a major union leader just refer to like the bosses as criminals, which is true. Yeah. So, yeah. like, anyway. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, back to, back to Trader Joe's, another criminal enterprise. Like, we have a quote here. Well, I mean, HuffPo interviewed uh, one of the worker organizers there, uh, Rab Bradlea, who said that they had achieved near supermajority support for the union at the store and had planned to distribute union cards this past week. But on Thursday, August 11th, the company posted a notice like in their internal company like message boards or whatever, their communication services, whatever they use. I don't know if it's an app that – they had that they felt it was quote time for us to explore another location end quote to sell wine in the city and that the wine shop would instead be converted into extra space for the adjacent grocery store which is i you know alcohol customers 
they just dry up after a while. They stop coming <laughs> yeah. in, and it becomes time to sell watermelons instead, and, and <laughs> mangoes and peaches. It's just an insane fucking ploy. And you have the the employees saying as much. So you have the same guy, Brad Leo, who said, "quote They're hoping this dissuades other workers from doing the same thing we've done." And then another worker in the store, Jonathan Runig, uh, agreed and said, "quote It's totally to stop the union effort before it can begin. My regulars are pissed. It makes us look really bad. It makes the company look bad to put their employees." out of work like that with no notice. And Trader Joe's is trying to keep up a good face and say they'll they'll pay the workers through the end of the month, provide options to transfer to other stores. But we know from every other union drive we've ever looked at that management always blocks the transfer of union organizers from the stores that they close to stop a union drive to their other stores. And the workers are showing their intelligence in refusing to accept that and have instead demanded that the company reopen the location. In their petition, they actually said, quote, the company's decision to rent an empty space during their most profitable months simply does not add up. Nail, head, do the math. Hammer. (laughs) (laughs) The whole idea of like, well, we only have one liquor license to sell wine in New York, and so we have to make sure that we maximize our location. And that's why we're closing our store in Manhattan. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. You like it. It's just no way to say that with a straight face. It's like the highest population density in the United States. Like, what better location could you possibly have? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking demented. There's such a huge concentration of wealth there, too. You would sell all kinds of specialty products, especially because yeah. Trader Joe's is well known for being slightly more upscale than other grocery and alcohol like it's just it doesn't make sense on any fucking level no i no i mean it it is clear and obvious retaliation and and you know the workers have pointed that out and they are investigating you know the the options of filing for like unfair labor practice charges Mm -hmm. you know working with the lawyers that they have access to through ufcw and you know so some of the workers are like at the same time, they're trying to fight to keep the store open. You know, if you get laid off, you got to look for a new location. So some of the workers there are looking into if they have to transfer to other stores in the city. But I mean, there were so many people that were interviewed in this, this Huffington post story that were all like, this just like reaffirmed why we need a union. So Mm -hmm. like, even if you break up this team and send like them individually to stores and you blacklist a few of them with the idea that, well, this don't, this'll, you know, they'll, they'll, this'll chill that union drive. I'm like, I don't know. I think you may have just spread it to a bunch of your other locations. (laughs) So, I mean, at least we're hoping, I mean, I, I mean, really, I mean, hoping that these people get their job back and that there's you know, a good push that the store gets reopened. But I mean, that I feel is a I mean, just looking at the way that Starbucks has done their repression, right. uh, that seems like a pretty lofty goal uh, that is hard to obtain. And uh, unionizing every other Trader Joe's is maybe the look. Yeah, Absolutely. So solidarity with these workers facing clear and obvious retaliation from Trader Joe's. And just, I I know, you know, longtime listeners, this will be cliche. We've said it a million fucking times, but I think it bears repeating. It does not matter if a company has a so-called progressive culture. 
they will fuck their workers over every single time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and there's an interesting corollary to that, which it doesn't matter if any political administration has a so-called mm. progressive culture because That's they will true. still fuck over workers every time as well. Case in point, on Tuesday, August 16th, President Biden's Presidential Emergency Board, or as we like to call it, the PEB, released their <laughs> recommendations to resolve the years-long crisis between railway unions and the companies. And to nobody's surprise, on basically every single point that they could, the PEB signed with the rail bosses, which is like... It's insidious because they didn't just side with the rail bosses. They also kind of de facto sided with the rail bosses by ignoring a lot of the issues that the rail workers had been putting forward previously. Yeah, like every time I read more about this, I get more angry at the fact that the Railway Labor Act exists because like the way that these workers get thrown through the fucking runaround just trying to be able to even have a semblance of a legal right to strike is is so ridiculous. Like... We've we've talked before plenty of times on the show about the crisis with the rail workers, the the horrific conditions that they've been through. So we're not going to go through and do a detailed recap on that. But so this the Presidential Emergency Board is supposed to be the last stop before a potential strike. The idea is we've forced the unions to go through round after round after round after round of federally like uh, like observed mediation and gone back and forth and back and forth and not allowed them to strike for years. Basically, they've been working without a real contract because of the Railway Labor Act. And then we give them the Presidential Emergency Board where we come in to just, the president gets to pick a bunch of people to be the, the like, compromise leadership and determine <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have the, the smart, nuanced, middle-of-the-road approach that helps everybody. Which what they mean by that is, we're going to come up with whatever works for the bosses and then maybe have some tiny little thing in there for the workers to try and get them to vote for it. And when we, when we first heard, cause you know, the technically Biden didn't have to appoint a presidential emergency board. He could have allowed the workers to strike a month ago and he didn't and instead stepped in. And that's why, you know, when that happened, we were pretty you know open about the fact that a presidential emergency board is not a good thing. Like it is ultimately still designed to prevent a strike. And these recommendations, I don't really think, you know, try to prevent a strike as so much as they do, like, dare the workers to strike because the stuff in this these set of recommendations is extremely frustrating. Like, it, the thing that they trumpet, the number one thing that's in there, and this is the big thing that we hear from both the Biden administration and the railway carriers, is that the board's recommendations do recommend a higher raise for the workers than what the companies wanted. That is the one issue... <laughs> The single issue that the workers were fighting for where the uh, Biden administration's president, the PEB, had any sort of a recommendation beyond what the offer from the business side was. Right. And but it's interestingly, it's not the issue that was on the absolute forefront of the no. workers organization leading up to this. It just happens to be the one that maybe plays the best in the headlines and is most easily overcome by some creative accounting. Yeah. And it, it makes the least impact on the ability of the companies to like continue the, the specific practices that have ballooned mm -hmm. their profits through the roof. Like the, the PEBS recommendations include a 24% raise on average for workers over the course of a five-year contract. Now this, this is, new, uh, yeah, this, this part is, actually, is interest, interesting, I think, especially because it, they're going to do this uh, potential contract that's going to expire in a year and a half. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like they've been 
they they have not been able to have these real ne- the the process of the RLA through most of the pandemic. So this contract actually goes back to 2020. So a bunch of this stuff would be retroactive, and the new contract would quote unquote end in 2024. Although again, with the RLA, whether a contract ends or begins is really vague because the Congress can just be like, no, no, you're still operating under the old contract forever if they want. Right. And and so like that 24 percent raise. Over the course of the contract, which actually goes back two years, so it's not like this is going out to 2027. It would go out to 2024. That's a pretty decent raise. It's not the 28% that the workers were asking for to ensure that those rates exceed inflation in each year, but it is a pretty good raise. The problem is that the core issue the workers care about is not wages. Like, of course, yes, they want a higher wage. They, they want a wage that exceeds inflation. But the big issues that we've talked about on the show so much are working conditions, safety-related, understaffing, all these things. Like, the, So the board came out with their recommendations, and it doesn't address any of these things. They rejected worker demands for paid sick days, instead recommending a service bonus be paid to workers instead of having paid sick days. I don't understand like how that actually solves anything. It, the board rejected unions' call for three paid holidays a year. Apparently... Three paid holidays for railway workers is too many. And they all rejected and instead said, well, you should give them precisely one Uno personal day. One personal day. Well, it just seems like in in, in every case that there was something material or something structural that the workers wanted out of this, the PEB came along and said in typical Biden fashion, like, look, Jack, you you simply need to be paid more for this. You know, you want more days off? No, you get a bonus. You want more time with your family? You want scheduling ahead of time? No, you get hazard pay. Like, it's always just like allowing them to throw more money at the problem to get out of the way that they treat their workers. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. The the board didn't address at all any sort of regulation about the railroad's recent attempts to use one-man crews. Like, that's been a big line of contention Mm -hmm. because that's an extremely dangerous practice. And the board just ignored it, didn't talk about it at all, which is de facto siding with the railway companies. Absolutely. I mean, and the union has been fighting that fight for years. I mean, since before 2015. I mean, that has been something that every single rail company has been trying to do is get crews down to just one person, which is so immensely unsafe that if anything were to go wrong, especially these people working such long hours, maybe they fall asleep or maybe they get injured because they're, you know, too tired. And uh, then that person is left all alone. And that's what they want. They want these people working like what 360 days a year and yeah. uh and then also to only be to be the only person responsible for these giant moving pieces of steel yeah well they would rather yeah. risk accident and injury and derailment and all of that shit because like one derailed train and one stopped train with someone that needs medical attention on it here and there is cheaper to them than paying for two people to be on the trains at all time which is like that seem, doesn't seem to me like the either the standard of safety either. It seems like more than two people yes. is really where you should be going. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and in here, there's other places where they sided with the boss. Like right now, there's a flat cap for the maximum amount that railway workers can pay for their health care. Mm-hmm. And their health care is not great. It's like so many other workers in this country who, who get a health care program. It's better than nothing. It's better than having to go through the ACA. But it's still pretty bad. And now they want to get rid of the flat cap and switch it to 15% of the cost of the health care plans, which would send 
like healthcare costs skyrocketing for workers, which would eat into the, the, the wage raises that are supposed to cover for all this. And the biggest thing that they don't address at all is the scheduling policies, which is the thing where we really started talking about this with folks, like specifically where you have BNSF giving workers one day off a month, which is why you have so many railway workers quitting. And the board didn't address that at all. They refused to consider any of the recommendations of the workers to change these draconian scheduling policies and make them into something that an actual human being who has a life and a family and wants to, I don't know, maybe see them once in a while, like where you could actually do that and still be able to do your job. They, the board just ignored it and said, well, you should go back and renegotiate this with the, with the companies as if they have not already been trying to do that for years. Right. And yeah. And it's, and they pointed out like, this is all happening again while the companies are making record profits. And this is some of the worst language. And I know they're mostly just quoting the, the companies, but this shit is so insulting. Like, cause in the board, the board's recommendations, they have this line quote, the carriers maintain that capital investment and risk are the reason for their profits, not any contributions by labor. Boo. The carriers assert that since employees have been fairly and adequately paid for their efforts and do not share in the downside risks, if the operations are less profitable, then they have no claim to share in the upside either. No, End quote. They, they share in the downside <laughs> risks whether it's profitable or not. You fucking psychos, because whether you make money hand over fist or go out of business, you treat your workers like dog shit. Like it, it's, it's not just nonsensical. It's like it's incoherent, you know, like it says yeah, nothing. I, I mean, I know that they're basically just quoting the carriers here, but it's with the, the way they're doing it is it lends credence to the yes. argument and, and saying something like the capital investment and risk are the reasons for their profits, not any contributions of labor. I cannot, I can, I honestly cannot remember any time in the last maybe century, at least the 21st century, seeing the ideology <laughs> Just so openly stated. Yeah. I mean, if that's really the case, then yeah, let the workers strike. Then it shouldn't be a problem because yeah. if the if labor isn't doing anything, then if they're on strike, then your profits should be fine. Yeah, yeah you're, yeah, you're exactly. taking such a magical risk with your capital. Let's see you do it without any workers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in it's this shit is so ridiculous. And I mean, like, so the rail carriers responded to these recommendations exactly the way that you would expect them to by saying things like quote, although the recommended wage terms significantly exceed those proposed by the carriers in this round and are far above those contained in prior rail labor agreements, it is in the best interests of all stakeholders, including customers, employees, and the public for the railroads and rail labor organizations to settle this dispute and prevent service disruptions. They're quote. saying that wow. they're saying workers, you have to take this. The president mm -hmm. sent some guys. Okay. And it's in everybody's interest that you just listen to the president's guys. And it's like, <laughs> what the, fuck are you talking about yeah, yeah well and and then like the people that they list their customers employees and the public i mean it would be really cool if those were the only people involved in this project but no there's obviously they're they're leaving out the the exploiting company they're like uh yeah, yeah uh, it would be in the best interest of ever it's like no, no, this is specifically only in the best interest of the company and probably the Biden administration to make sure that the uh, work stoppage doesn't happen because when it does happen, I mean, 
railway uh, workers have a lot of power. Yeah, well, and like they they can affect society in a way that people will be able to see in their day to day. They are the Absolutely. reason that goods move across the country. I mean, them and truckers. That's it. Those that's everybody who moves goods across the country. And if half of that dries up, I don't know what the actual proportion is, but if let's say half of that dries up, like people are going to take to the fucking streets. And if these rail workers get even a, a minute in front of the camera to explain why they're doing this to the rest of the country, the rest of the country is going to be behind them. And the government yeah. fucking knows that. So it's kind of shocks me like in one way, I'm not that surprised that they're basically saying, let's just kick this strike down the road and delay, delay, delay. But another part of me wonders, like, is that really such a good idea? Because if you do actually end up with this strike on your hands, you might see a bigger outpouring of public support for these workers than you're prepared for. Yeah. And the thi- I mean, we've talked about this before, but just to reiterate it, unfortunately, the Railway Labor Act continues to really constrain mm-hmm. the legal options that these workers have like, so following the PEBS recommendations, the railway labor act requires another 30 day cooling off period before any further action can be taken. So if the unions reject the PEBS recommendations, September 15th, I believe will be the first day that they can legally strike. However, even if the railway unions do vote to strike and there's been, I all, I mean, granted, look, my Twitter bubble is, is not representative. I do not have an accurate polling of a majority of railway workers, but everything that I'm seeing, you know, coming out of like labor journalists, people who, who know people who are in the railway industry, it seems like the railway workers are justifiably extremely pissed about these recommendations that they did not take the workers' demands more seriously. And that really does seem to be energizing support for an actual strike. Which well, we have not seen in decades. That's the reason there's a 30-day cooling off period in the first place. Because <laughs> right, if yeah. these fucking uh, recommendations were handed down and the workers could strike the next day, they wouldn't wait that long, you know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And and so this does run into what is likely to be the ultimate resolution to this. So in mid-September, which, again, the way that the Democrats are going to be looking at this is less than two months before the midterm elections. So they do not want a major railway strike, uh, which would, you know, of course make prices worse because companies are just going to pass on an in cost of disruption to customers from that and then try and blame the workers for it. And so what will likely happen is if the unions decide that they will not accept the PEBS recommendations and they decide to strike Congress, I mean, just based on past history on this, Congress will likely pass a law saying that any such strike is illegal, that they must return to work, and they and the contract must just be updated to what the PEBS recommendations are. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the legal end of things. But, I mean, the real world exists outside of the legal juridico framework. Like, uh, And so I've, you know, there's a decent amount of, of support, it seems like, at least, again, in the Twitter spaces that I've seen, like, from railway workers to just be like, yeah, okay, and if Congress says we have to go back to work, tell them to fuck off because these are not acceptable terms. And because I, I even saw mm-hmm. there was, I think it was like the 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 like ban one man crews or whatever like account that this like their whole thing is that, and they made this video, and it was just like all these like questions that you could legitimately see people coming up with in a meeting about planning for this. Like what if Congress orders us back to work? What if they find the union? What if they threaten to put union leadership in jail? And then they just cut to what if we stood in solidarity and showed like a bunch of pictures of like 
the union workers getting together. I was like, hell, hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, because there's really, there's three different ways that this can go, which is the Congress can make it illegal to strike, and maybe that works. The, we, the workers can go on strike, or the government could just make the company give the workers everything they want, and then maybe the Democrats would actually win because both of those other two options are just going to make everybody hate the Democrats more. Well, at least one thing is certain. Whatever comes out of this, good or bad, the Democrats will try to find a way to take credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Probably simultaneously the good or and bad uh, options. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this is also, just as one final point on this, this is why it's so important. That we see groups like the Teamsters, like the ILWU, like every union should be coming out and making a, a declaration of support for the railway workers, whatever they decide that they want to do, and which presumably, hopefully, will be strike. Because that's what, I mean, that's what they deserve. Is They deserve to have the right to strike, just mm-hmm. like any other worker. The Railway Labor Act is an attack on all workers in this country, and it needs to be repealed. And we need the rest of labor to stand with the railway workers so that we don't see a repeat of PATCO. And there's no need, like those sorts of things are not inevitable. If the whole labor movement actually stood together on this and we're like, we're going to support the railway workers, even if you declare their strike illegal, that would put way more pressure on the Democrats to force the railway companies to accept a contract that would actually meet more of the workers demands. And so that's the sort of stuff we need. And it September 15th is not that far away. So this is going to come to a head pretty soon. So we'll definitely be watching this because this could turn into like the biggest labor story of the year, potentially. So Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of big labor stories, I suppose, we have yet another union movement at Amazon to talk about. Um, so last Monday, August 15th, and this is where the discussions about the spelling of San Bernardino or Bernardino uh, came out of workers at San Bernardino at Amazon's air freight hub on the West Coast called KSBD in the company's naming terminology. Uh, about 150 workers walked off the job last Monday in protest of low wages and awful working conditions. And, and this was the first major, like, open action taken by the workers who are organizing at the San Bernardino Air Hub, who are uh, organizing under the independent name Inland Empire Amazon Workers Union. So they're not affiliated with the ALU. They're not affiliated with Amazonians United. They're their own thing. And so they, uh, that 50, 150 workers that walked out on Monday is about 10% of the Air Hub's 1,500 employees. And this was something that I had learned. I didn't know this much about like Amazon's logistics when I was looking through this, but um, Amazon's like air freight division has about half a dozen hubs across the country where they you know shift stuff from one major like warehouse dispensing point to another, and so these are actually like within Amazon's already vital logistics network. These are like even more centralized hubs. And so any work action at a place like this can have a really big impact on Amazon's wider logistics chain. Right. And 10% might not seem like the the amount that, you know, is very I mean like that is just for one work stoppage in a a, a place of 1500 employees total. That doesn't that mean like there are probably people who were just not working that day and were like, "Huh, well, I guess I'm technically not you know i'm technically you know stopping with the other people they just maybe didn't show up to the picket line well yeah and i mean for a first action 150 people that's a pretty good turnout 
Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think 10% for a first action is not bad, like, at all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we've, we've seen say, walkouts. Could, it's t- could be even higher percentage of support. Yeah, we, sure, we've yeah. seen walkouts start with, like, half a dozen people before. Uh, and we do have a quote from one of the members of this kind of union still in formation who told the Anna Ortega, who told the Washington Post, quote, with the rising cost of everything in our lives, it's getting tough to make ends meet. It doesn't make any sense that people who work here should be on food stamps or struggling financially. And uh, that, I mean, we've seen that everywhere, especially when you're working in a facility where it's like, hey, I'm sorting and shipping things around so that people can get all of the stuff they ordered on the internet. Why can't I afford to buy anything myself. And so the workers started discussing the possibility of organizing last year when the company temporarily closed temporarily closed plants, uh, which costed the workers lost pay. And since then, they started meeting both inside and outside work to discuss their goals, tactics, and uh, build support for their union movement. And then last month, they delivered a petition with over 800 signatures, which is a clear majority of the workforce, with their demands for a $5 an hour raise, better health and safety standards, and for Amazon to stop its campaign of retaliation against workers for organizing. They specifically noted that due to average rents in the area hitting over $1,650 a month, the starting wage of $17 an hour at the Air Hub was not enough for workers to live on. That's fucking insane. $1,650 a month being the average rent is just outrageous. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, I guess uh, it pans out that they do have a lot more support than just the 10 percent as you know is very clear by the 800 signature petition yeah well and uh, i mean it's it's important to have that level of support when you come out asking for something like a five dollar an hour raise which i mean that might seem high to a lot of people who see that you know workers routinely do ask for less in different parts of the country but it's not just a matter of like skyrocketing cost of living it's also the fact that like Areas like this, the wages have been stagnated for so long that we don't just need to keep up with the now skyrocketing cost of living. We need to play catch up with the last fucking 20 years as well. Well, yeah, absolutely. And a $5 an hour raise, if you're only making $17 an hour, only brings you to 22 bucks an hour, right. which is you're only going to be making like $44,000 a year. I mean, if you work OT, it's a little more than that, but that's... That's not, that's not, that's, that's barely a living wage in most of the country. It probably still isn't in San Bernardino. And yet, despite that very reasonable demand, and again, having majority support, Amazon's response was, well, they called an all hands meeting. Mm. They did a, we see you, we hear you. Mm. Uh, we, we, we hear your concerns. And so we've decided to address them. Here's our offer of a raise of, 90 cents. Uh, so yeah, we, we see your, your $5 an hour and we counter with less than a dollar. Well, but don't worry, there's more. We will throw in free advice on how to save money oh by taking God. the bus instead of driving to work. How, how about some off. advice on how to make it so that the $20,000 a year rent that's paid, because that's what that number is, $20,000 a year, is actually bearable based on the wage. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, like, it, it just stings so bad because every time they, they throw in something where they're like, save money by taking the bus to work, I think about that guy, Martin Lewis. He was a British television correspondent, and his whole deal was he was an expert on saving money. And then, I think this was a few years ago, he just kind of gave up. He was like, there is nothing you can do to keep up with the rising rate of, of the cost of everything. And to think that a 90 cent 
an hour raise and taking the bus, like taking the bus to work is also sacrificing a lot of extra time. So mm-hmm. like your 10 hour shifts become 11 hour shifts. If your commute is extended by a half hour each way, cause you take the bus now instead of driving, like it's just, it's just disrespectful. You know, it's like, and I mean, with the it, state of public transit infrastructure, I mean, right. the mm-hmm. mental exactly. health toll is mm-hmm. also incredibly difficult. I mean, I, I, this isn't a great excuse, but some people need that half hour in their car quietly listening to the radio or something like that to make sure they don't lose their fucking minds. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, And it would be one thing if this country had a functioning transit system. Like right. we had trains to get everywhere. We had good buses that came on a, real, a, a, a schedule that actually met people's needs and were kept up well, that would be one thing. But this is America, so we don't have that. <laughs> so it's an insulting demand to people. And uh, and the other thing, so workers, I mean, and workers know how fucked it is. Like, they've pointed out in, like, one of their own statements when they said, quote, when KSBD opened in March 2021, Amazon promised the Inland Empire quality jobs. They failed to deliver, whether we're suffering from heat exhaustion, not getting paid enough to afford rent, or being retaliated against for speaking up. We know we deserve better, end quote. And they're absolutely right. And and they pointed out also that like over the past decade, Amazon has gone from having no jobs in the Inland Empire region to being the largest private employer. Like... Right. The, they've had that level of growth. Obviously, everybody knows about how much fucking money they've made over the last few years, and yet they'll only offer a ninety cent raise. Well, right. they're also lying. Yeah, to squash the the actual union support, they said that oh, it was only seventy five people who participated. <laughs> yeah. motherfucker, that's still a lot of people. Like yeah, even absolutely. even if that was true, we would be like, "Wow, these great these are really great workers." Sure, <laughs> which yeah, like absolutely. also it's not true. There were way more than that, uh, and I mean, luckily for these workers, they have been supported by uh, some of the local Teamsters in uh, 1932, uh, but they are still remaining independent at least for the moment, and we'll see how uh you know how their organization really shapes up as they're most likely going to see a lot more support with amazon's continued repression yeah absolutely uh so yeah just wanted to highlight you know the fact that these workers are out there they're organizing i mean the getting 800 people to sign your petition for that sort of stuff that's a big step like that's so that's a really good, like they, they've got a real solid organizing core there. So like hats off to these folks for doing this walkout. That's awesome. Really looking forward to see what these people can do because if they can, if they can unionize one of the air hubs, that'd be, whew, that'd be awesome. That's a lot of leverage. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then also, you know, people looking to get more leverage, the Albany workers that we've reported on a couple times have actually filed for their uh their NLRB election while being part of the Amazon Labor Union. And this is the third warehouse to try to join the ALU and the fifth official election petition by the company overall. So they're still real. I mean, Amazon is still fairly early in its organizing and we're seeing a lot more organizing happening. I mean, they say that they've cleared their 30 percent threshold uh, of the 400 workers that are in the facility uh Basically, you know, in not too much time, I, I think that they haven't even really been organizing a super long time. And so to get up to no. that level of support that quickly is really impressive. Um, we don't have the exact number of, of people who've signed cards, but, you know, I mean, we usually don't get that information until later anyway. Yeah. And so, like, just 
this is just a quick story on on the fact that now they've they've hit the point where they were able to file, which is uh, it's a really good sign. So we're and but unfortunately, at the same time, of course. Amazon's union busting has, of course, swung into high gear. Regarding that, they've started holding captive audience meetings, lying to people there about the ALU. You know, the they've the union has shared all these pictures from inside the the plant of all of the screens there. Like, don't sign a union card. You're signing away your soul, like more or less. And so, I mean, it's going to be a, a knockdown, dragout fight, but like. I'm really looking forward to see what the Albany workers can do. And our last little Amazon story I wanted to throw in here. This one's interesting. I'm not really sure exactly where I come down on this one, but it's definitely uh, sort of unique uh, in this case. So the ALU this week got an interesting source of allies where a group of very popular TikTok stars began threatening to stop working with Amazon completely unless they meet the union's demands, like including things like a base $30 an hour wage. And of course, you know, recognize the union and bargain with them for a a contract. And so like, this is a group of about 70 uh, social media creators. I wasn't really sure what word to use for this because I don't want to use the word influencer because that sucks. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and they are are working uh, under- Yeah, these are content nerds. Yeah. And they're operating under the name, the people over prime pledge. And they said it collectively between the 70 of them, they have a following of over 51 million people on TikTok. And they issued a statement saying, quote, Amazon's widespread mistreatment of their workers and blatant use of union busting tactics will no longer be tolerated by the TikTok community. End quote. And Amazon has used TikTok as part of its broader social media strategy. They've like, brought in all these like high follower accounts to like they've done things like fly them out to different events and stuff in order to woo them and get them to then put up like a storefront to add and use their account to advertise stuff to make amazon money typical stuff that you see companies doing with like social media accounts and so these creators are saying that they're going to refuse to work with amazon and shut down their storefronts if the alu's demands aren't met And one of the members of the group, Emily Raina Shaw, told the Washington Post, quote, I think their method, there being Amazon, of offering influencers life-changing payouts to make them feel as if they need to work with them while also refusing to pay their workers behind the scenes is extremely wrong. I want to feel comfortable recommending Amazon products to my community because it is so reliable, but I can't do so until I know they are treating their workers fairly, end quote. And so, I like, mean, it's like some, halfway there. Yeah, it's like some solidarity. We always like, yeah, we, we like solidarity. Yeah, yeah I don't, sorry. I, I, mean, sorry, I don't that, really, that was all I, I really had. Like, I don't really like the energy of saying something like, I want to feel comfortable recommending Amazon products, where it's like, I'd yeah. still really like to work with Amazon. And it's like, maybe you shouldn't. But at the end of the day, at least like, these people with big platforms are saying like, Hey, look, there's a real workers movement and, uh, I've had a job before. So I feel like I should probably stand with them and not you. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm personally a bit skeptical of the ability to weaponize these platforms in this sort of a way because of the, like the, the algorithms are a black box that are structured specifically to promote business interests. So Mm -hmm. like, but that being said, I still think this is really cool. Like whether it works or not, it's dope to see these folks, you know, standing with the workers and I, Hey, worst case, it doesn't work. It's not going to make anything worse. And it is the fact that we've got people with, you know, again, 
I, I don't know how much faith I put into like, oh, I have this many followers. Well, how many of those are actual people? But regardless, putting direct labor demands and support for unions in front of that many people, whether it has an effect on Amazon or not, is still a good thing. Yeah, and so I think that's pretty cool. Definitely. I mean, like, you know, I salute the all the all the people who listen to the show out there in the comment mines saying that they support <laughs> Saying that they support workers and, and unions and stuff like that, shouting down the the idiots who would who would say stupid shit. Uh, so I mean that yeah, it's cool enough. I mean, yeah, good <laughs> good luck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just imagine the weird TikTok robot lady voice being like, "I didn't endorse this product anymore after I found out about the high rate of industrial accidents." Like, <laughs> it seems a little <laughs> incongruous. <laughs> it's yeah. like they hear industrial accident and the it gets demonetized immediately yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean we've we've actually talked about this uh briefly uh at least we alluded to some of this or er, er, earlier uh, in like uh just northern california or i mean just in california working conditions but uh this is we have our next story is in relation to mental health workers and uh, and how they are on uh, how workers at Kaiser Permanente uh, have been on strike for a week now, uh, which is really there's some interesting parts to this story, especially ones where uh, Kaiser has said we are going to break the law. You cannot stop us from breaking the law. We will never follow the law. Yeah, which would be cool if they were a person instead of a company, because like an individual worker saying that'd be like, cool. Yeah. Fuck the law. But when the law is like, you must provide mental health services to people who need it. Well, you should, if you're a healthcare company, you should follow that law. (laughs) Um, but yeah, this story is fucked. Like, so we've talked about Kaiser Permanente in the past a little bit when there were workers who were looking like they were going to go on strike last year. And now we finally actually have a strike. So, um, This is involving about 2,000 workers, mostly in Northern California, who have hit the picket lines in San Francisco, Sacramento, Fresno, and San Jose. And this is the first ever open-ended strike by these workers at Kaiser Permanente who are organized with the National Union of Healthcare Workers. And it comes as, like, they've had a year of back-and-forth negotiation with the company that the company has basically just stonewalled them the entire time. And this is, again, this is another one of those strikes that is not primarily about pay. It's not primarily even about benefits for the, for the workers. It's a really, this is all healthcare strikes, at least on some level are a strike to improve patient care. Right. This one is like one of the most clear ones about that because it's really the whole deal of what the workers at Kaiser are striking over. Like, And this all comes down to Kaiser's systemic neglect and understaffing of its mental health care division. So that Kaiser has like so many other companies, like basically every company in America (laughs) refuse to hire enough workers because you know, it's the, the, they're all going lean now, cutting as many workers as possible, making people do the work of two or three or four individuals, which of course we love to see in the healthcare field. Well, especially and in like the, the the specialized mental health care field where like the nature of the work you're doing is like it, it it's so deranged. These workers essentially have to go on like a solidarity strike for their patients because mm-hmm. the patients literally cannot strike. There's no mechanism for by which for them to stand up for themselves. Absolutely. I think actually characterizing this as a solidarity strike with the patients is probably the right way to look at it. Like. 
And like Kaiser has been fined repeatedly by the state for its failure to provide mental health service uh, to the patients. And the lack of care has meant that like people who need mental health services in Northern California and are referred to Kaiser have been routinely forced to wait months, sometimes three months before they can get an appointment, which is not an acceptable wait time for any kind of health care, but especially if it's like, oh, I need emergency mental health services. Let's see if I can pencil this in in November. Right. <laughs> like, well, and I mean, when the, the law itself outlines that the response must be within 10 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as you said, Kaiser's just openly said, well, we don't have enough staff to meet that, so we're just not going to comply with that law. It's like, you control how many staff you have. Yeah. And and so, you know, over the past couple of years, especially since the start of the pandemic, complaints from patients and staff have gone through the roof. Uh, I mean, Sarah Sorokin, who is a therapist at Kaiser, told Labor Notes, quote, patients are suffering. They're not getting better. They're getting worse. Some are experiencing worst, worsened prognoses or suicide attempts. Therapists are being forced to practice their trade in a way that violates their profession's code of ethics and state and federal mental health parity laws, end quote. Right. And then during all of this, you know, Kaiser is only intensifying the problem at any given time. Like we have a lot of these workers who are saying that many of their colleagues have actually been forced to quit because of the burnout, because of the understaffing, which only causes more understaffing, especially because while the demand for mental health services has jumped 30% over the past few years, twice as many mental health clinicians have left Kaiser as the company has hired. And so the Mm -hmm. understaffing is only leading to more of itself. And the workers have said that this has left them stretched so thin, left patients with such long wait times that many patients just give up on seeking treatment, which is in many cases like disastrous. If if you yeah. if if you're in a situation where you're willing to go out of your way to try to get mental health services and then you're met with such abysmal care that you give up, that's dangerous to you. That's dangerous to everybody in your like that's that's just a recipe for like I don't even know, fucking social collapse or something. Like, it's insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have a quote here from Michael Torres, a child psychologist in San Leandro, from the San Leandro Medical Center, who told SFGate, uh, it is no longer tolerable for me to tell a young person and their family that their child just needs to wait four or eight weeks for them to be seen for major depression or trauma or serious anxiety disorders. I've been apologizing to people for 20 years, and nothing has improved at Kaiser. Wow. Whew. 20 years. Like, I mean... Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. And and of course, we have the same nonsense from Kaiser doing this as we hear from every uh every healthcare strike. You have the concern trolling, the trying to blame the workers for any degradation in patient patient care during the strike. And of, and you have all the all this nonsense about well, look, you know, we provide healthcare to all these people, and we have to conserve our resources. Meanwhile, Kaiser brought in $8.1 billion in profits in 2021. That's one year. San Francisco. One year. Yeah. $8 billion in profits. Yes. In, in, in like money extracted out of the workers and out of the communities that pay for these services. And their San Francisco area, C- area CEO, Greg Adams, brought in $17.3 million. It's just fucking At the same time that the company is forcing patients to wait three months for care. That's definitely a time that you should be giving your CEO a bonus. Yeah. Like, 
And and so Kaiser, as we said, as you know, they're throw, trying to throw workers onto the bus, telling SF Gate, quote, it is especially disappointing that NUHW is asking our dedicated and compassionate employees to walk away from their patients when they need us most. End shut quote. up. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you got everything in there. You got concern trolling, you got blaming the workers, you got othering and third partying the union, because in here you have the union is asking our dedicated and compassionate employees. So they, again, trying to separate the union from the workers that are the union. It's, I mean, it's, it's a beautifully evil piece of corporate writing. Um, and yeah, but the the thing is, like again, you have these workers who say they've been seeing conditions get worse and worse and worse for twenty years. So I don't think any of this nonsense from their PR department is going to convince these workers to come off the picket lines. And so, I mean, it's it's such an exa- an, an example of how unjust just generally our private healthcare system is. How nonsensical the whole idea of private insurance and really privatized medicine is. And and this is a chance for these workers to try and push back against some of the worst parts of that. And so I think it's really great to see them standing up for their patients. And like, just one last quote I wanted to throw in here is like from Shay Loftus. This is from another interview with Labor Notes, who's a psychologist at Kaiser, who said, "quote We're not willing to be part of a system that disrespects the work we do and prevents us from providing ethical care. Kaiser has no excuse to continue treating mental health care as a separate and unequal service, and we're going to keep striking until that changes." End quote. Hell yeah. Good. Yes. Yeah, so solidarity honestly, yeah, with these ridiculous. workers. Yeah, solidarity. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me mad. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm, this I'm country little, already has... Yeah, I'm a little foggy today, and, and it just makes me even more mad. It's just like thinking of people who who don't have the healthcare services that they need. Just fucking Yeah, I mean, like, this country already basically doesn't provide mental health resources unless you're rich. And then they come out here, you have all these companies like, well, mental health, it's it's a it's like a it's a luxury service, like like how dent like how uh, like a visit to the dentist is like those are your luxury bones. That's why they're not covered by default on right. things like you know Medicare, and and yet at the same time are bringing in eight billion dollars in profits and saying they can't properly staff their mental health unit. It's it lies on lies, and it's it's really good to see these workers standing up against it. Right, so, well, and, solidarity and it, these workers. It being like an indefinite strike, I mean, I think is is showing the kind of intensification of labor actions and and just like sure. uh, moving to the next story. I think that we are seeing this really continue in a lot of different places. When we see the Columbus teachers who are who are going on strike for the first time in nearly fifty years. The last time they yeah. went on strike was in 1975. Damn. Ohio hasn't had a win this big since Hang On Sloopy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a little Ohio that, joke. This, uh, this strike comes with a 94% rejection to the board's best and final offer. I mean, like, it's pretty clear that what was, han- what was offered to them was bullshit. Yeah. So this is the 4,000 teachers of the Columbus Education Association who just went on strike today this morning that we are uh, recording this on monday august 22nd um and so the workers are striking over and this is you know kind of the theme of the episode where there's wages involved of course but what they're striking over is primarily other issues uh, despite the way that the press is trying to paint it in the area so like yes there are some issues with wages and those issues being that most of the offers up until their very final one from the school board 
uh, to the teachers were, okay, so for your wages, uh, we will give you a raise of zero. <laughs> like literally their proposal was a pay freeze. And then when the union authorized their strike vote, well, then they came back, oh, okay, you're serious. All right, fine. Here's a 3% raise offer, <laughs> which is just insulting in a year where inflation is, depending on where you live, well over 9%. Right. Yeah. So, And I mean, like, we have to always remind people that a pay freeze would actually be a 9% raise right now. Right. You mean, you mean a 9% pay cut? No, a pay freeze would be a 9% raise. Oh, okay. An actual pay freeze. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. If they really wanted um, to freeze their pay, they would tack it to inflation. Uh, right. But additionally, uh, there was... It also included a refusal by the district to agree to hire more teachers to allow mm -hmm. existing staff to work acceptable hours. So this is another one of the issues that we see all the time, which is just like, they don't just want more money. They're saying like, please, we need to be in this building less. <laughs> like, well, and just having enough time to give their students the, you know, attention and, and like resources that they need. And, right. and so like a spokesperson for the union, uh, Regina Fuentes explained in an interview Quote, the school board has tried desperately to make this strike about teacher salary, teacher professional development, and teacher leaves. Let me be clear. This strike is about our students who deserve a commitment to modern schools with heating and air conditioning, smaller class sizes, and a well-rounded curriculum that includes art, music, and physical education. End quote. God, I love teachers so much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... And so, I mean, because this is all tied in with stuff that we hear from so many of the other teachers where they'll, they'll come in, the, the school boards, and they'll just be like, okay, so here's our little teeny wage increase we offered for you guys. Also, by the way, we're not hiring anyone, and we have 10% more students, so your class sizes are all going up by 10%. That's fine, right? And then we'll do the same thing next year, and next year, and next year, until class sizes balloon to the point where it's absolutely wild, like... Yeah, and, and so I mean, the, like, I've, these I'm teachers are standing in the way of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm friends with with one teacher who recently told me that they can't even fit enough desks in the classroom for the 35 kids <sighs> that are supposed to be in the room. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, and so what the teachers are really striking over, in addition to the insultingly like insulting wage cut that the that the uh, board is proposing, is things like you know the fact that the school board has refused to provide adequate ventilation to the schools, which is incredibly important right now. Mm -hmm. If we're going to be sending people back to school in person, which of course everywhere is doing, and you have so many places, not even just putting in the basic minimum of mask mandate, no, you have to have I, I don't know. I, ventilation. Yeah. And I don't want to mean to just interrupt you there, but there was actually a statement that was so ridiculous that was put out by the, the CDC that said that we are we should you should try to not oh, discriminate yeah. against people if they decide to wear masks. They have to yeah. put out a statement saying that uh, maybe you should try to make it so that if people do try to protect themselves, that they don't get discriminated against. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah and, and, and the school the school board's like, well, no, we've proposed to put adequate ventilation. It's just going to be phased in over a couple of years. It's like, we, you can't phase in a pandemic protection while the pandemic is still going on and have that be an acceptable option. Like, right. 
it's ridiculous. I mean, they're refusing to fund music and PE classes for all students. They're refusing to ensure that all schools have heating and air conditioning necessary to make them habitable. Uh, I mean, they've refused, as the teachers have said, they've refused to hire more teachers to address the massively ballooning class sizes. And so all the time, the board's refusing to do any of this. They are, of course, coming out and attacking the teachers for going on strike. So you have like Columbus School Board of Education President Jennifer Adair putting out a statement saying, we are saddened by the unfortunate situation our families, our community, and most importantly, our children now face. Our offer to CEA put children first and prioritize their education and their growth. We offered a generous compensation package for teachers and provisions that would have a positive impact on our classrooms. What a pile of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... We, we, we had an offer that put our kids first. That's why we offered to send them into schools without proper ventilation where you're going to have 40 kids in a room like with one, like one school nurse for thousands and thousands of kids. Yeah, that's definitely putting the kids first, for sure. Like, it's, it's all bullshit. And, and so this is the thing. Never listen to, <laughs> to this sort of stuff. It's like they have this stuff like already pre-written out. They just have it like Mad Libs where they fill in the details before they publish it. It's from like a PR yeah, manual. Yeah, it's, it's like fill in union uh, name yeah. here. Uh, yeah. Blame workers here. The, yeah. the teachers have rejected our best and last hot dog. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so... The strike technically began today, but the school year doesn't actually start until Wednesday. So technically it is possible that there will be some sort of an agreement that will result in classes not being canceled. I, that seems incredibly unlikely, um, especially since the school board said their last offer was their last best and final. So, uh, but I, so it looks like this is going to be an open-ended strike. I mean, and school open-ended strikes usually don't last that long because they make an enormous impact. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially because, like, I mean, again, this is this is a district with forty-seven thousand students, and so if the strike you know continues as it's expected to, they're going to start the year remotely with substitute teachers and school administrators trying to teach classes. Which I'm sure that will go well. Well, it's also kind of crazy because I think people do forget Ohio is a big-ass state with a shitload Mm -hmm. of people in it. It has like four or five large cities, depending on how you qualify what's a large city. Like Columbus is a big city. Columbus is big as hell, and it gets overlooked because people think of Ohio, they're like, Cleveland, that's it. It's like, no, man, there's Toledo, (laughs) there's Akron, there's Columbus, there's Cincinnati. Like Ohio's full of people. And our hearts go out to all of them. That's true. That's <laughs> yeah, true. and teachers should probably strike and all. Of yeah, them. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, w- one thing I will say that I did take away from this on it, and and we've talked about this before, but I think one of the things that's underlined by the 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 board's plan to try and deal with the strike is why it's so important for unions broadly, but I mean teachers unions are what we look at usually in this mm-hmm. to to expand their horizons into a more wall to wall. Like, cause I mean, this union does include school nurses, librarians. It's not just teachers, but like you, you should unionize the substitutes too. <laughs> cause mm. then they can't act as scabs. So, right. You know? Yeah. And of and you get better benefits for them. You can create pathways by which subs can then become permanent teachers. Like you can set up a whole lot of stuff. If you just show that solidarity and bring them into the union. Also make sure they are in the whole union and not like two separate unions. Cause a lot of school yeah 
districts also try to do that where they have two different unions, one for the teachers and then one for the the support staff, which usually includes substitute teachers, uh, custodial workers and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so we'll definitely. I mean, this is just happening like starting today. We'll be watching this one. I mean, four thousand teachers. That's a in a big city. This is like going to be. This is probably going to. This might make the actual like normal normie news. Wow. <laughs> so God, I hope so. so. We'll, we'll see. I'll tell you what I'm waiting for is the street fight episode where they talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Absolutely. But I mean, speaking of strikes that are going to make the normie news. Th- we got one in the UK that already very much has. So, you know, we've the UK has been having a lot of pretty cool strikes lately. I mean, obviously, we've talked about the RMT going on strike and shutting down the rails. Well, now we've got dock workers in the UK's biggest container port at Felixstowe that, who have shut down the port for a week starting on Sunday. This is the first strike there in 30 years. 1,900 dock workers, members of Unite the Union, voted overwhelmingly 92% in favor of striking a few weeks ago after the company that owns and operates the port refused to offer a wage above inflation, where we heard this one before. Mm -hmm. Um, And this strike is planned... Well, the answer to that is literally every single strike (laughs) that's happened uh, in the UK, I guess, and in the US... And, and internationally in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and all the protests that aren't even necessarily strikes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so this is planned to be an eight day strike uh, up through, you know, next Monday. And Felix Stowe, which I, I'll be honest, is not a port I'd actually heard of, but um, handles ha- literally half of the UK's container traffic. And so, like, that will have an enormous impact on commerce throughout the UK. And this comes because the offer of the company that runs the port, which is like a holding company based out of Hong Kong, um, like they offered the workers a raise of 7% and a 500 pound bonus. I hate it when they throw the bonus in there. That's the most (laughs) insulting thing. It's yeah. It's, it's so gross. And we've been talking about the 9% inflation rate that we've seen here in the United States, but that is not the same number that they're seeing over in the UK where inflation has gone up to 12% this year. And, and I mean like the last raise that they got last year was 1.4%. Well, and like 12% this year, it's August. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's actually forecasted, and this is a wild number, that the UK inflation is now forecasted to hit 18% at the end of this calendar year, which that is, I don't know that I've ever seen, uh, like, for, I mean, like, one of the big imperial countries. I know the UK is like a, not that so much anymore, but like, that's an enormous inflation rate. Yeah, that's like and, that's like a post-Soviet CIA influenced level of inflation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, I guess actually that's what I would say. That's the highest inflation rate I can remember in a country that wasn't being attacked by the United States, right? Either militarily <laughs> or economically. Um, and so, yeah, it's ridiculous. And so, like, the, the general secretary of Unite, Sharon Graham, explained, like, why they needed to strike, saying, quote, Felix Stout Docks is enormously profitable. The latest figures show that in 2020, it made 61 million pounds in profits. So they can give Felix Stowe workers a decent pay raise. It's clear both companies have prioritized delivering multi-million pound profits and dividends rather than paying their workers a decent wage. And 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much the case we've seen with all The of only these. thing I'm surprised yeah. about this is that they didn't say pay rise because I'm pretty sure that's what every single person <laughs> yes. in Britain says. I may have Good changed call. it to to raise. Oh, okay. They, they might have like, said this, rise. This I don't doesn't remember. sound like a British person wrote this. <laughs> at, first I, at first I was annoyed by the phrase pay rise, but then I kind of grew to love it. Kind of the way like <laughs> Australians always say they've got heaps of something for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and so of course the ridic- the like craven British media is already trying to blame the workers for this. You got BBC, the Guardian, all the folks that are supposed to be quote unquote liberal are all, you know, up in arms about, oh, what about how this is consumers are going to be hit with price rises because of this, blaming the workers for like the companies passing on the costs of the strike. Well, of course, never mentioning that it's like the bosses could end the strike at literally any moment. Yeah. By just agreeing to pay the workers a wage in line with inflation. I think we say like, this all the time. You know, if you really <laughs> want to avoid a strike, there's one tried and true method, and it's giving <laughs> the workers what the fuck they demand. And usually, they're not even really asking for anywhere near what they deserve. So, like, really, they're offering you a pretty sweet deal, like, to be honest. It's and, true. And, and, and really... Like, underlining why these are so important, because, you know, we talk all the time about, like, a raise that sub-inflation is a pay cut. Well, to get into the, like, day-to-day details of what that means, like, the the BBC interview did interview one dock worker. I will give them that. They did talk to a worker, which I'm sure was very scary for the workers <laughs> at the BBC. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> Savage. Uh, dock worker Andrew uh, DeMont, or Dement, uh, I'm not sure, who was on the picket line on Monday, Explain, quote, my rent has increased by 90 pounds six months ago. We're on pay-as-you-go gas and electric meters, and whereas gas was 20 pounds a month in the summer before, it's now 40 pounds a month. And electricity is 100 pounds a month, and this is only going to go up and up and up, end quote. And so, like, that's the sort of stuff, like, is why this matters, Mm -hmm. because if your rent is going through the roof, if your electricity has doubled, if your gas has doubled... It's not like a oh well I I want my 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 thing to go up so I can buy a boat or whatever. It's like the, it's paying for the fucking basics. And the fact that this company that is making, you know, money hand over fist running this port off these workers labor is hung up about a like 2 to 3% tick up from what they've offered just so that the workers don't see a pay cut is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, so, beyond I mean, like that. In that, I mean, this, that's, that's the whole point, though. They want it to be below inflation so that they can right. use that to get more money out of the workers, each of them individually. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, though, that I have seen from this strike, and this is partially from like an interview, uh, an article from Left Voice, but also from some other stuff, because you know we've seen the big strikes by the RMT and the rails. Mm-hmm. There's an upcoming strike, I think, next week at the Royal Mail. That's going to be a big one. Uh, nurses, I believe, are scheduled to have a strike, vote, big strike vote coming up soon. So there's a lot of really big sectors that have been striking in the UK. And while, you know, some of them, like I think the British Airways workers who are going to go on strike did end up winning some of their demands before they had to. But if these aren't, like if the rail strikes have to keep continuing because the government won't listen, if the dock workers aren't able to get what they need, if the nurses aren't able to get what they need, if the Royal Mail workers don't get what they need, it might be time to start coordinating those strikes and that's not too many organizations to have to get together to have like the dock workers the railway workers 
the mail workers and healthcare workers on strike at the same time, I think you could get a lot done with just the threat of that. So uh, I mean, that's the, pretty the close. Labor, to, that's pretty close to the whole damn country being on strike, services wise. You know, yeah. like yeah. So I mean, yeah. UK so, labor movement so hot right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> write, write a review of our podcast and send it to labor leaders in the UK. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Just just make fun of Keir Starmer so much that he has to resign because he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Lynch says, fuck you, Keir. Sincerely, John. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, with our, you know, normal weekly show that we've been doing, we're going to go to our normal weekly Starbucks uh, segment where we're going to start with, you know, on Thursday, August 18th last week, Union workers at Starbucks Workers United finally got one of their biggest legal wins uh, where basically, you know, you might remember that there's been a little bit of repression and there's been some firings and there was like <laughs> these, this really big group of firings. Specifically, they had a cool name. They're like the Memphis Seven. They're like the superhero team. Well, turns out they're getting rehired because uh, the NLRB finally did its fucking job. Yeah. Yeah, wow. this was the power of having a cool name. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. This was super exciting news came out last week that finally, after literally six months after these workers were legally fired, mm -hmm. the board and a federal judge have agreed with the union that the Memphis Seven were illegally fired in retaliation with the intended effect of chilling the union drive. And that therefore, because this was an illegal firing, Starbucks must rehire the St Memphis Seven and or, you know, of course, offer to make them whole. So, I mean, but, this is a huge win. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, did, I, did, I knew the NLRB could technically do this, but I did not know that they were capable of doing this. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Well, and yeah, yeah. Starbucks wants to make it so that they can't because right. clearly, you know, I mean, they didn't lose the union election. So obviously their retaliation attempts didn't work. And so they shouldn't even have to rehire these Memphis seven because uh, <laughs> clearly it wasn't interfering with the union and it wasn't union busting, even though it was union busting, but because it bolstered the union, it didn't matter. This is Starbucks's argument, not mine. This y is yeah. <laughs> the, the nonsense is supposed to sound ridiculous. They came in like a cartoon lawyer and they were like, your honor, if you'll give me three hours to present a batshit defense, you won't <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> you know, like it's so yeah, it was so wild to read that where they were literally like, Well, look, yeah, the union says we were trying to chill the effects on the on on the union drive, but the store won anyway after we fired these people, <laughs> and then a bunch of other stores have unionized. So really, how could this be illegal yeah. if it failed? <laughs> and actually the baristas climbed all over the laser tag arena, even though the laser tag arena employees told them specifically not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just I, I don't understand how you go. I mean, I guess this is part of like training to be a corporate defense lawyer yeah. is just being able to say it like ludicrous things with a straight face. And, but yeah, I mean, thankfully the judge did not believe them. I mean, the company says they're going to appeal, but getting that federal judge to rule that they were right, the union members, and that the company has to rehire them, that's an enormous hurdle. Mm -hmm. I, it's possible this gets overturned on appeal, but I kind of doubt it. Like, and, and so, you know, this was huge, super good news, like, especially coming at, you know, when at a moment where Starbucks has only ramped up their 
war on their own workers, trying to get all union elections stopped across the country. So this was kind of, I think, perfect timing for this. To, if, it, if it was going to take six fucking months, well, last Thursday was a pretty good time for it to come out. For so, sure. I mean, on Twitter, one of the members of the Memphis 7 thanked supporters saying, quote, this would not have been without the support of each and every one of you. Those that marched in the streets with us, those that shared our story, those that supported us, those with Memphis 7 on their sign. This is for all workers everywhere. Thank you from the Memphis 7. Yeah, we're just putting quote. this in here because that's to you folks. That that's mm-hmm. a, like you were the ones also out there saying, "Hey, this is fucked up." So, you know, this this thank you goes out to everybody and straight straight from the Memphis 7 themselves. Fucking rocks. Absolutely. And, you know, it is kind of nice to finally start one of these segments after the last few weeks with some unambiguously good news. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hate it when it's ambiguous. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, of course, uh, in addition to all that good news, strikes continued this week mm-hmm. as, you know, uh, because while this is going to hopefully force the company to rehire the workers in Memphis, the company's still trying the scorched earth tactics the rest of the country. And so the 874.com AV strike in Boston has now rolled into its second month, continuing to stand strong with a ton of support from the community. Uh, they posted pictures this week where the local Teamsters came out to stand on the picket line with them and show solidarity, provide material support, and protest the company's illegal union busting. And last Tuesday, this was pretty cool to see, all seven of the unionized stores in Eugene, Oregon, struck at the same time to protest the company's unfair labor practices, which left only one location in the entire city open. I <laughs> fucking love that. This we've been we've been kind of nudging, being like, "Hey, you know, you got these cities where where's uh oh the Ithaca yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, Ithaca. I mean, like, you know, you you, <laughs> you got this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is exactly." What this quarter coordination exactly what it's going to take to finally get a contract out of Starbucks. Mm-hmm. So it's really good to see the level of coordination from from the Starbucks. Workers Hell yeah! And it's not just strikes and and like rulings on on rehirings that we got this week. We also have a couple union victories uh, on Wednesday, the seventeenth. The eighteenth and Castro store won their. Uh, Voted voted seven to two in favor of joining the union, and they're they're out there in San Francisco, and then I mean they're the 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 fifteenth unionized store in in California, and then on the nineteenth Thursday in Edina, Minnesota, uh, there was a unanimous victory of nine to zero in favor of unionizing. So now there are two hundred and twenty two unionized Starbucks, and uh, more Hell to yeah. come. We love to see it, folks. And other things that we love to see... Oh, my God. ...are things that you're not allowed to see because this is an audio medium. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Welcome to the image description portion of the podcast, folks. It's the meme review. (laughs) That's right. We usually start with some memes that we really like that we found on the internet. They often have a labor theme or support a point that we make pretty frequently on this show. But instead of building up a meme for you, we'd like to tear one down in front of you just this time. (laughs) Um, So this is a a meme that is apparently a printed out piece of paper that's on display in a McDonald's somewhere. And it is emblazoned with the title recover at work and of course they had to use the shift to 
symbol. At symbol, yeah. <laughs> the right. at symbol uh, in order to convince you that they're being but hip and friendly. <laughs> what's what's this about? Recover at work. I mean, they're going to let us nap on the job. They're going to provide <laughs> us uh, mental health services, like extra time off, extra breaks. Yeah, I can't wait huh. to go to the McDonald's vaccine clinic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this one is... Like so, you got like this poster, and you've got a guy. He's he's got his McDonald's company jacket on, Ooh. but his arms in a sling, and looks very chill for having a broken arm. <laughs> and is thinking, why should we R at W? Because of course we have to turn this into an acronym. Which is, raw. Why don't why, I just why, stay why, home? Why should we raw? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we noticed that before. Yeah. But. I didn't notice that till you said something about it. <laughs> to be honest, and, and so like I'm not going to read all the text on this, but it's like this basically is a attempt to convince employees not to stay home when they are recovering from an injury. So this is got his caption: "What is raw? <laughs> recover at work is when employees are sp- supported by their peers to recover in the workplace after a work injury. It is our responsibility to assist and form part of your treatment and rehabilitation program in a safe and encouraging work environment. And we can't do that without immense surveillance and forcing you to labor. <laughs> yeah, and so it's got all of these points that's trying to convince you why it's better to recover at work instead of recovering at home. So you've got get support from the restaurant. Reduce financial stress. I want to stop <laughs> there. Like, hold on. Let's stop at reduce <laughs> financial stress. Any delay in returning to work is often a delay in recovery, causing stress on your finances and personal life. Saying, we will not pay you sick time. You have to come mm-hmm. in or you will no longer have a place to recover because you won't be able to pay rent. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. And, well, And like everybody knows that like, being at work is a terrible place to recover from an injury. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, I yeah, I remember I, I listeners like of my other from show burns over a hot over a hot grill, right? Yeah, well, listeners of my other show will know I had a bicycle accident where I got a rock lodged in my arm on my way to work. I worked that shift, and let me tell you, it's one of the biggest regrets of my life that I didn't mm. just walk yeah. out the door and go to the hospital. Yeah. yeah, and I mean it's got to, it's like recover better and faster. That's just a lie. That, <laughs> no, the yeah. smell of fry grease it stimulates your brain into healing faster. Oh my god, you should be able to sue them for this for for this yeah. kind of misinformation. Well, yeah, I mean, M- maintain your skills and knowledge. Yeah, because like oh! this is this is this is medical advice. This is McDonald's <laughs> is handing out medical advice saying that you should be in at work to rec- that. It's just, ah, ah. Number five, stay connected to your mates. Yeah, so this is either from the UK or Australia. (laughs) (laughs) And And then lastly, I don't know if this is the most ridiculous one or not, but it's up there. Supporting your mental well-being. Because that's... I always when I'm feel injured. so so <laughs> mentally well while at work being exploited, working <laughs> yeah. minimum wage. Yeah, trying to work with one hand. Man, I'm not feeling good today. I think I'm going to go to a McDonald's for a shift. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, so zero stars out of infinity for McDonald's yes. here. Trash meme, full of lies awful stuff Stupid. let's let's move to something cool <laughs> let's look at a how about good some meme. cats and heart hat hard hats finally that's right 
<laughs> I think I think these cats are have actually just been to the meeting where their manager told them about how they should recover at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause so you got a bunch of the 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 titular cats in hard hats. <laughs> but they're not on a construction site this time. They they seem to be in a, a the Sahara Desert. Bad place for a hard hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's just captioned me and the boys on a noble quest to find the last fuck to give <laughs> well it's a, it's it a ain't out here right there. <laughs> absolutely yeah and then we have a uh a meme in spanish which is some workers uh, so like let's start with the worker who's in the most precarious position they are on the side <laughs> yeah. of a building standing on two metal what are those metal like pole things? Uh, rebar. Rebar. They're they're standing on rebar, sticking out of the side of the wall, while two of the workers hold the back of their shirt as lo- <laughs> as though it were a safety harness. And, yeah. and in Spanish, and I'll just do the translation. It says uh, sarcastically, "The owner deserves to earn more because he's the one who takes the most risk." <laughs> yeah, like. I guess this is a meme from Mexico. So it says like, el dueño merece ganar más porque es quien más arriesga. Uh, which it, this is, it's funny because like, it's one of those memes where I feel like even you don't have to speak Spanish to know yeah. exactly what they're saying. <laughs> Cause this is like, this could be anywhere. I know that. Yeah. Like in the U S be like, no, OSHA would prevent that. Uh, mm, I don't think yeah, so. Try again. <laughs> A guy who's yeah. seen another guy fall from doing this is what prevents that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect illustration, I think, of it's like that whole idea that, well, uh, you know, managers are paid more because they work harder. I'm like, eh, I don't know. How many managers do you see <laughs> hanging off the side of a building with only a couple other managers like holding their collar to keep them from dying? Right. Yeah. And I mean, Thing at McDonald's. How many how many managers you see with arms full of grease burns? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, like let's go to the next one. Uh, this is a this is also a cat meme. This is uh a, the one of the it's a two panel. The cat on the left is crying in a blanket, and uh, it says, "Me trying not to scare the libs too much. Everyone needs health care." Which I encourage people to stop doing that uh, and, and, and move more to, to this second one where we see a cat on the top of a cat tree with a communist flag saying, me talking to comrades, the capitalist machine is fueled by the blood and sweat of the working class, and it needs to end before the, uh, uh, end before the world is literally destroyed by the rich. And I think that we should really be taking this energy and using that on the libs too, because I think that like, they don't need to be coddled. They really don't. I don't know. I, I mean, yell at libs all the time, and uh, they're all. <laughs> it it. I don't know. It works. You're not going to make headway with them by being nice. That's the thing. Like you don't have to be mean, but you don't yeah. have to like you don't play their conversational games where it's like yeah, saying everybody needs healthcare is true, but like you need to explain why it's possible now without inconveniencing anybody who's not already insanely wealthy. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And maybe. You know, if you stick around uh, next, or I mean, later this week, we'll do a little explainer on a little concept called social murder. Anyway, <laughs> um, oh, this is this is my favorite one in the whole fucking meme review. <laughs> 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 
I don't know where this came I, from. I've seen the photos of, of this event before. <laughs> yeah, it's this one, I guess, is a few years old because of the date, but I only saw it this week, too, and I lost it when I saw <laughs> this because just <laughs> such a funny concept. So it's posted from somebody's page. It looks like a, a guy who's like in, a, in an ad for a lawyer on a bus bench or something in the profile pic, uh, and it's posted from 2017. It says, hey, Commonwealth Bank, how about you service <laughs> your fucking ATMs in Bunbury so punters like me will not have to tape fish to them so you'll have no choice but to come and fix them. I have more fish and tape and willpower than your entire organization. Fix them now! <laughs> and then it's a fish taped it to is, an ATM. It is literally a picture of a fish taped to an ATM. <laughs> I encourage people to do this sort of sabotage. Like, I mean, this is such a good form of protest (laughs) because, like, you're not it's not destroying the ATM, so you can't call it property destruction or vandalism or anything. It's a donation of a fish and some tape. (laughs) It's a very strong way to make your point felt. Just using electrical tape to tape an entire fish to an ATM screen. It looks like a cutaway from SpongeBob. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my man. goodness well with that i uh, want to thank you all again for listening as usual and if you'd like to support us more go to patreon.com slash work stoppage you'll get our overtime episodes we just finished a little history on textile strikes in the u.s and like i said later this week there's going to be a little something about social murder which is going to be really interesting uh, join us in the Discord if you want to hang out and check out other news that maybe doesn't quite make it into the th- into the show. Uh, also, just like easier to find the links and get updates on when the show's released. Uh, leave us a review somewhere. Follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the Pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to BP Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. Labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. <laughs> solidarity, everybody. Solidarity, everyone. I'm trying to go like. Uh, wrestler announcer kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it came through.